Hello and welcome to the Farm Reform Podcast. I'm your host, Jonah Comstock. A few weeks ago on the podcast, we discussed the new GLP weight loss drugs and their shakeup effect on the medical weight loss industry. For another perspective on that conversation, this week we welcome Dr. Rekha Kumar, Medical Affairs Lead at Digital Medical Weight Loss Clinic Found. We're going to talk a little bit about how her practice has had to carefully integrate these new drugs and navigate some of the complexities around prescribing them. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kumar. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So first of all, tell me a little bit about Found and, and what you guys do and what makes you special and um, and your own background and how you became involved there. Sure. So Found is a digital health company that focuses on weight care or obesity medicine. Found has been around uh, for about two to three years and we have provided weight care to over 200,000 people. Found combines medical intervention with anti-obesity pharmacotherapy with behavioral health interventions, all delivered through technology. So our members have a clinician, could be a physician or um, nurse practitioner, as well as a health coach that guides them on the lifestyle side for nutrition, exercise, sleep, and stress management. We also have a very active community that exists in our app so people can share their experiences along their weight journey. I would say what makes Found unique is that they really are not a GLP-1 pop-up shop, as many startups have been recently. Found existed um, before Wegovy was approved, and Found was prescribing anti-obesity medications before GLP-1s became mainstream for weight loss. Most of our history has been... Um, prescribing generic meds that are accessible and inexpensive with the goal of scaling access to obesity medicine care that is hard to find in the United States. I'm glad that you mentioned that. I've been covering telehealth for a really long time, and I think it's always sort of lived with the specter of people thinking it's a pill mill. You know, it's just like how this is. And and certainly as we deal with medication shortages across the board and make it harder for people to get their medication, I think those allegations, those kind of inferences pop up more and more. Um, so some of the things you said there about holistic care, about making sure it's it's not just about the drugs, but about behavioral health and, and lifestyle interventions, that seems to me really important to sort of really cementing your identity as, as a, a clinic, right? Absolutely. And we really feel strongly about that so much so that, you know, we really try to deter people looking for a pill mill from coming to us. It's not easy to be appropriately prescribed these meds these days. I think that there are some people have a very liberal stance at their prescribing habits, whereas at found, we really want to make sure that we are treating medically complicated obesity and not the you know vanity issues related to cosmetic weight loss. And so we really do an extensive medical intake assessment with a clinician prior to even knowing if we're going to prescribe medicine because it isn't appropriate for everybody. How would you describe the kind of patient that it is appropriate for who is, you know, really well positioned to benefit from these new therapies? So the ideal member it found is often someone that has really tried everything. They've tried, you know, commercial behavioral health interventions. They have tried every diet, exercise program. Sometimes they're even familiar with medication 
And perhaps they actually even tried one of those pill mills. And they realized that in the absence of comprehensive care, medicine alone won't do the trick in the long run. So usually people coming to found are seeking a comprehensive approach. They've already realized that they need more than diet and exercise, but they need more than just medicine as well. They have come to appreciate that hybrid comprehensive approach that's necessary for sustainable weight care. And I think it takes, unfortunately, a lot of negative prior uh, weight loss attempts to realize that. I think we all hope that there is a quick fix from those, you know, promises out there. But I'd say the typical found member has continued to struggle with their weight. Often they've lost and regained. Sometimes they've even tried medicine, but in the absence of proper behavioral support. That really resonates with me. I mentioned on the last podcast we did on this topic a few weeks ago that my father is is taking uh, Manjaro uh, for weight loss, and um, and you know I watched him my whole childhood struggle with his weight, and you know tried different diets and exercise regimes, and and you know some things worked somewhat, but he never you know nothing ever really worked. And the way that he talks about um, you know the the just massive kind of effect of now being on this drug. It's really, um, it really kind of drives it home that this, this, these GLP ones do seem to be working in, in people in cases where nothing else seemed to. But when you've got that kind of dramatic story around the drugs, does that make it harder to tell the story around, Hey, this has to be part of a holistic care or, or is it easier because you know, the, the, the mountain doesn't seem so high. Yeah, it, it depends who you're talking to and what their experience was. It can go either way. Uh, there are people that start the medicine and it works so well that they're like behavioral intervention doesn't matter for me anymore. I'm eating whatever I want, but I'm eating so little because of the medicine that I'm losing weight. And that's where I really try to emphasize that that doesn't always correlate with better metabolic health. So the, the goal isn't just to lose weight or to see a number on the scale go down, it's to actually get healthier. And that's where I emphasize that the medication is the tool to make adherence to the behavioral intervention easier. So all those times that somebody feels like they've fallen off the wagon and they blame themselves, they blame their willpower, society blame them. With the use of medicine, we're acknowledging that there was a biological reason that happened, that your body fights back when you try to lose weight. But we're not really saying that should replace the role of healthy, nutritious food and physical activity. Those are essential for long-term health, cardiovascular prevention, and longevity. And so it's that combination that we should continue to emphasize to our patients. But I, I, I have seen that before where people feel like it matters less because it's made it so much easier for them. But that's not everybody's experience. There are people that don't respond as well to the medication. They might only have a moderate response. It's better than perhaps anything else out there, but they don't feel what you just described your dad feels where it's such a game changer. People will say, oh, I heard it was going to be such a game changer, but I'm still hungry. And I remind them that the point isn't to not be hungry. It's to have enough control to make the ability to adhere to those interventions that you've tried your whole life actually work. That's a really good framing. I like that a lot. It really makes me think of the fact that people really like to frame, I think, obesity in these dichotomies of like either it's your fault or it's not like either 
you had the willpower and determination to lose weight or you didn't. But really, it, it too far on either side is a problem, right? Like saying, oh, if you, you know, if you couldn't lose weight, it's your fault is, is bad. But also saying, like, it's not your fault. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to try is, is not going to be a really helpful message. Yeah. And we see these dichotomies, I think, in weight care very frequently. People that have historically struggled with their weight due to the biological underpinnings have developed this all or nothing mentality. They're either on the plan and it's working or they're totally off the plan. There's rarely an acceptance of of the middle ground that you can sometimes be on a plan. You can be on a plan 80% of the time. That's still better than nothing. And part of the GLP-1 conversation I find interesting that's relevant to this dichotomy is that you're either on it forever and ever and ever, or you're not on it. When there is really a whole world in between. Yes, medicines are meant for long-term use, but I'm, I'm sensing this conversation from patients and the media of, is it true you have to be on this forever? That is such a hardcore way to describe it. Yes, if medicine helps you lose weight, you'll probably need some amount of medicine in the long-term to keep that weight off. Does that mean if you skip a week, you're gonna gain back all the weight and get diabetes? No. Does that mean if, you know, you go through a pregnancy and need to back off for two years that you're doomed in terms of your metabolic health. No, life is long and there will be interruptions in use of medicine. There will be new medicines. What we're saying when you should stay on these medicines long-term is that if medicine is the only thing that unlocks the biology and allows someone to lose weight and keep it off, that stopping the medicine abruptly will likely lead to the appetite returning and weight regain. That doesn't mean that there's no other options or that there can't be interruptions to care. Things like that happen all the time. But I think we're also speaking about GLP ones now as you're either on them forever or not on them and going to have obesity. Like And that's an oversimplification. Yeah. You know, that that's really interesting too. One of the things about that conversation um that I think makes it especially prudent is access, right? You know, if these are medications that people are gonna need Obviously, obesity disproportionately affects people in lower income brackets, um, you know, other vulnerable, marginalized populations. As we talk about this as a, as a new standard of care, we have to think about whether it's accessible to those groups. And, and that whole idea of like, you know, you need to have continued access to it is it's part of that conversation. How do you guys think about those kinds of issues I've found? Yeah, that's really important. Part of the GLP-1 conversation and a concern about it has been the perpetuation of healthcare disparities in the U.S. because of the cost of these meds and who's accessing them. That's been a very big priority it found, which is why we mostly lean on generic medications that are easy to access and inexpensive. And those are the bulk of the medicines we do prescribe it found. We prescribe GLP-1s when appropriate, but we do take a step therapy approach. We do try to prescribe generic medicines when appropriate and when they match someone's biology. And that's why we've been able to treat over 200,000 people. A lot of the GLP-1 pill mills, if you look at the total numbers they've treated, they're actually quite low. So they could have good results. They could have good efficacy. But because of even access to these to those platforms and coverage of the meds, they haven't been able to scale the way we would like. That makes sense. I mean, it's a new drug. There's only a few out there, and some of them aren't even technically supposed to be prescribed for obesity. So even outside of costs, availability is, is a concern right now. But it seems like that's 
probably going to change. I mean, these these drugs are big business. There's a lot of uh, profit motive to make them more accessible, more available. And, and I guess generics are probably coming at some point, right? Yes, but I think it's still years down the road. But I agree with you. I think we're in, we're at the beginning of this. We're in a temporary time that's very complex in terms of cost and access. And I think as we learn of more benefits, like the SELECT trial, the cardiovascular outcomes data, which you probably might have mentioned in the prior podcast uh, that showed that Wegovi shows a 20% reduction in heart attack, stroke, and cardiovascular death. When we start really learning of those kinds of health benefits, we really are going to want to provide access to more of the population. Yeah, we did touch on, I don't know if that particular study, but uh, Dr. Trich did touch on sort of the idea that thinking of these as weight loss drugs is kind of limiting, especially when we think about obesity as a comorbidity for so many other conditions that that are so, they make up so much of the, you know, uh, medical fatalities uh, in the United States. So as we think of the long, long term, it does seem like there's a, a lot of potential for these drugs, even beyond thinking about them just as as weight loss. But even earlier, you were saying, you know, thinking how we think about weight loss in a medical context should be related to health and to those conditions and not just what you see on the scale and how you look and, and how you, you know, feel about how you look, right? Yeah. And one of the ways I handle that after practicing obesity medicine for 12 years, I have learned to always ask somebody at the first visit what their healthy adult weight was that they maintained for over a year. And I document that. And there's a reason I do that because when these meds work really well and somebody reaches that weight, they're actually never satisfied. And that is because of the cultural obsession with being thin. And they'll say, I want five more pounds. I want 10 more pounds. Uh, And that's when I'll reflect back and I'll say, you know, when I met you two years ago, you reported this weight as your healthy adult weight that you previously maintained. And the idea of pushing you unnaturally low with medicine probably reaches the point where the risk outweighs the benefit of medicine. But people lose sight of that when they see this working and they think that, you know, we're magicians. Medicine can get get me to a lower weight that I've never been. And sometimes you ask them, well, when were you last that new goal weight? And they'll say something like when I was 14. Well, that's not a healthy adult weight for you. And we really, I think it's our role as healthcare providers to remind our patients that we're doing this for their health. And we have to keep assessing the risk benefit ratio of prescribing medicine. When somebody achieves good metabolic health, their healthy weight, it might not be their like dream weight to fit into a dress, but that's not, you know, treating weight for their health. And yeah, I mean, obviously, it, it starts to get above your pay grade, right? <laughs> Solving the cultural <laughs> stigma problems around weight. But it is hard because that number on a scale is such an intuitive way to measure your weight. And for some people, your, you know, the self-worth, as it were. So you really have to get away from like, that's the only thing that matters. Yeah. And it found we do emphasize non-scale victories. And we ask people to record those because at some point, people will stop losing weight. They'll reach a plateau and that dopamine hit they get from seeing the scale go down won't be there anymore. And that shouldn't be the only positive feedback their brain gets from the weight journey. They should feel great that their joints feel better. They're not snoring. Their mobility is better. Their blood sugar and cholesterol are better. So 
we definitely want to focus on the non-scale victories at found and for all patients on a weight journey. Yeah. So what are some of the other pieces of this puzzle? Not even necessarily just related to GLP-1s, um, but it seems like doing what you've been doing for as long as you have, you've, you've learned some some lessons and, and you have some ways of thinking about some of this stuff that might be different than uh, where people go instinctually. So so for folks who might be listening who are, you know, becoming interested in this this part of medicine because of these new drugs who maybe are getting up to speed, you know, anything else kind of on your mind or any other soapboxes for you? It's a good question. You know, I, I just think like putting this whole thing in perspective. The global obesity epidemic is still coexisting with a malnutrition epidemic in some parts of the world. And to me, that's so in ways it's ironic, but it does point to aspects of urbanization and developing a more modern society where, you know, maybe not everyone has to make the mistakes we did. Like, if we look at some parts of the world where, you know, that that haven't been as westernized and they're not yet seeing the degree of metabolic disease that we are, maybe there's, you know, areas that we can pinpoint in those societies to maintain good metabolic health rather than to see them go in the direction that, you know, other modern urban cities have gone as soon as they start developing more technology, more fast food. Um, I think that there's probably some public health interventions that could be really useful. Yeah, we could do two whole podcasts on that, I'm sure. But it is, it's really complicated. I mean, in, in an abstract way, obesity is a disease of excess. But in a concrete way, it affects the, the poorest people in our country. And that's all because our, our uh, kind of the whole cultural and social infrastructure of available food and, and available food education and, and, you know, exercise is all sort of distorted uh, from what would be ideal and healthy. It's a big problem. <laughs> I agree with you. And I, I think the stigma uh, with this particular disease seems worse than others. There are other medical conditions where there's a behavioral component to the disease. And we've grown to accept that certain mood disorders, even high cholesterol, something as basic as that, where we've accepted that people need medicine for their cholesterol. We don't deny that there's a behavioral component to the disease that diet and exercise matter. But when they don't, we give people cholesterol medicine. Yet for some reason, there continues to be a backlash against thinking of obesity as a disease. And people say that that's being, that we're over-medicalizing it. We are making people be responsible for their own health. I, I think there's two ways to look at it. There is a behavioral component and there's a biological component. And we've seen that in other diseases, yet the stigma on this one, because it's externally visible, is so different. Yeah. And I really think like it's a, it's a takes a village kind of approach, you know, the work you're doing at Found, as you said, is with people who have tried other things and failed. You know, if you look at a very different company like Peloton, you know, they're they're approaching those people who, you know, maybe haven't like haven't tried too many things, but they haven't had the opportunity to get the sort of exercise. You know, they're approaching people in a different income bracket. You look at there's I mean, there's so many different, you know, schools, communities, so many different people can address this at different pain points and are. And it's still like it's going to take all of that to really 
move the needle. Yeah. And that's a really good point. Cause even like, look at a company like levels, they're focused on like the health optimizers. I mean, those are pretty sophisticated people looking to monitor their blood sugar constantly in the absence of diabetes to really figure out like how to regulate their blood sugar. And we could say that's a way to prevent obesity, but it also is highly sophisticated and focused on a group of people that are above and beyond interested in their metabolic health. Right. But maybe lessons learned from that will trickle down too. I hope so. Yeah. Um, as, as we come to the end of our conversation, uh, any kind of predictions uh, for the future? We talked a little bit about this, but as these drugs become more available, as they get fine-tuned, um, how do you see your work changing and the sort of face of, of medical obesity intervention changing as a result of these GLP-1s? I see more acceptance in our society of the role of biology in body weight regulation. And I think that we will have a lot of choices the way we do in other diseases of medications tailored to an individual, so more personalized care. So the direction I see this going in, and I hope to see it going in, is one of more options for treatment and one of more societal acceptance of the role of biology. Yeah, so options in terms of of different medical options and also surgery and other options that we've had. Absolutely. So I would say the the widest toolkit from personalizing nutrition and exercise interventions to one's unique biology when we have those capabilities to choosing medicines that target the mechanism of somebody's weight gain more specifically because right now it's a little bit of trial and error. There are people we put on medicine that is as strong as Munjaro and they don't respond. And we still haven't figured that out yet. How do we know who's going to respond? And so I hope we figure that out more. And then as we do that, I think we will gain more acceptance of, you know, biology's role. One more question um, I meant to ask earlier, (laughs) Uh, but what are some of the benefits and and challenges of being a digital clinic, being operating online? And, um, you know, I'm sure you could go much longer than three minutes on this, but how how has that changed uh, with the pandemic and everything over the last few years? Yeah, so I, I practice in New York. I have a practice where I see my patients in person for diabetes, endocrinology, weight care, primary care. And I think nothing replaces the role of a physical exam. And so I don't see digital health or telehealth replacing in-person medicine, but I do think it's a complement and in certain specialties like psychiatry, endocrinology, obesity medicine, it really can expand access because there's not enough providers to match the prevalence of disease in the United States. But I don't think people should get all of their care through telehealth. I think it's really important to have a relationship with a primary care doctor, to be examined, to have a full set of vital signs when you go to the doctor. And so I see it as a complement and something that can be done in between in-person visits. Great. Well, thanks so much for talking to me today and, and taking the time. I know you've, you've got to see a patient right after this, so I appreciate you squeezing us in. Uh, Dr. Rika Kumar, uh, Chief Medical Officer at FOUND, and thank you uh, and I uh, hope to have you back sometime. Thank you so much for talking to me. That concludes this episode of the Pharma Forum podcast. You can find more information about this episode, including a download link and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com slash podcast. 
The Farmer Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, and Podme, where you can find and subscribe by searching for Farmer Forum. And don't forget to visit our website, where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins, and to follow us on Twitter at at Farmer Forum. Thanks for listening. Thank you.